You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Sign up with MyBookie and use our promo code GATERS to get your first ever deposit match dollar for dollar. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shout-outs, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me right here on this Monday night, the day after Billy Napier's press conference here and a lot of staff hires being announced today for Florida. And to help me break it all down, of course, is co-host Will Miles. You can find him at his site, readandreaction.com, on YouTube at Read and Reaction. You can follow him on Twitter at Will Miles, S-E-C. Will Miles, exciting times, man. Yeah, we were saying before we came on, I think I think we might have been busier if Florida was playing in the play or less busy <laughs> if Florida was playing in the playoff right now. You know, these the coaching changes are always interesting, right? You got to go back and take a look. There's always something happening every day. Um, you know, obviously we would prefer to be in the playoff right now, but uh, you know, the alternative is, is we got quite a bit of hope, quite a bit of stuff to look into brand new staff coming in people angry already about the people who are coming in for the staff or at least some people. So, uh, you know, exciting times to be a Gator fan, exciting times to see Billy Napier taking over. And, and, you know, I think, I'm not sure people actually expected him to win the press conference yesterday, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of people were excited about what he said and what he had to say and, and sort of how he is different from some of the previous guys we've had in here. Yeah. You know, I don't want to make too much of an opening press conference of you know, <laughs> how far and what it means for success for a head coach, but you know, well, you're, you're, you're supposed to be excited at, at, at this point and, you know, hopefully don't dive too far into, into what he says and, or what he doesn't say uh, there. But, you know, I, I thought, you know, approached himself pretty good there. And uh, you, you and I uh, were joking around behind the scenes uh, uh, yesterday about kind of the, the maybe Southern mannerisms and, 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 and everything uh, about Billy Napier and maybe a little bit how it relates to me and, uh, and myself a bit. So uh, some, some good down home fun, I guess we'll call it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he almost has as good a Southern accent as Brian Kelly. So, you know, that, that's, that's, that's really what we were sort of joking about there behind the scenes is that ridiculous scene with Kelly faking a Southern accent in front of the basketball fans there at LSU. Uh, Napier doesn't have to, doesn't have to fake it. He's certainly from no. Georgia and from the South and, you know, seems very, um, I guess measured with the words that he's using and, and definitely isn't in a hurry to get it out. It's just a different feel, right? I mean, it's a different yeah. feel compared to Dan Mullins, different feel compared to Jim McAway a different feel compared to, compared to Will Muschamp. And certainly we hope that that leads to a different feel for, for the program and the and where it's supposed to go. And, you know, over the next decade or so that Billy Napier becomes synonymous with urban Meyer and Steve Spurrier, but uh, you know, only time's going to tell, obviously one press conference doesn't get you there, but one press conference can get you away from there. Right. I mean, you can be, you're either heading in the right direction or heading in the wrong direction pretty much at all times. And I think um, it was a good opening step. 
nothing's been nothing's promised and nothing's really been accomplished yet but at least a good good first step to have billy napier in gainesville and have him hitting the ground running recruiting today actually in louisiana so he's already flying all over the place yeah i was going to get into that so let's just go ahead will i won't bury the lead there yeah recruiting in louisiana uh as you said and just over there in uh oklahoma uh a bit as well he's uh, while he's in louisiana Recruiting top 100 running backs, Trevante Citizen, Trevor Etienne, uh, both top 100 running backs. Uh, top 100 defensive lineman, Quincy Wiggins, also got a visit from Billy Napier today in Louisiana. Of course, it's uh, a, a state he's very familiar with, so he just goes – he flew from Louisiana yesterday morning to Gainesville, and Will, a day later, he's back in Louisiana recruiting for the Gators, so it comes full circle for him in, in just a day's time, but also uh, goes up to Oklahoma and is going to visit um, Gators defensive tackle commit Chris uh, McClellan as well. So there you go. Billy Napier already hitting the road for the Gators recruiting in the orange and blue. Uh, some pictures I already saw out there today on social media. He's in the Gators polo. He's got the Jordans on with some pants that are tailored the right way. And, you know, that looks somewhat natural there. Uh, so uh, but Billy Napier out there recruiting um and, of course, out there, uh, we'll get into it as well. Jabbar Jaluk is out there. And, of course, all those Louisiana connections, we'll get into the, the new hires today as well. But you go out there and look at hitting the recruiting trail just one day after his opening press conference. And, well, I do find it interesting, you know, not in Jacksonville, not in Orlando, not, you know, not in Tampa, going back to his roots where there's a lot of talent that he, uh, that, that he can get in, possibly into the fold for the Gators and visiting a commit. Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about – what he said yesterday about, you know, one day at a time, one person at a time. He's clearly somebody who seems to value recruits. And I, I think he suspects that based on his methodology, that in order to deliver when it comes to signing day and early signing day, that he's going to have to he's going to have to deliver with people that he's already built relationships with. And some of that is the players, but some of that is also the high school, the high school coaches, right? That he's got a good relationship with those high school coaches. And, you know, some of these guys who committed to LSU who are now sort of in a weird weird circumstance where you know they knew Orgeron was gone but they didn't know who was coming in Brian Kelly comes in maybe he doesn't fit them real well maybe Billy Napier fits them a little bit better than uh, than than Brian Kelly and so the, some of those guys who would normally end up in Baton Rouge are opportunities for Florida to, to hit the ground running and, and to bring in guys who Napier already has relationships with. So um, you can, you can understand why he did that. I do think that over time we're going to have to see him settle into the, you know, the Lake city, Jacksonville, um, Lakeland, Orlando, you know, those sorts of places. Um, and he, and he talked about that at his press conference that he wants yeah. to make sure that he's focused on the state of Florida. Um, you know, so it, it is interesting that he goes out to Louisiana, but based on his, his statements yesterday about how recruiting is tied into relationships, um, you can understand why he would do it. And I do think we should go back. I mean, if you remember, I think the first thing that Dan Mullen did was he went and went and visited Justin Fields, or at least made it pretty clear that he was going to be going after Justin Fields. Obviously, he didn't get Fields into the fold, um, but then Emory Jones coming in from Alabama. So it's, it's not as though um, going outside of the state is really that big a deal. I mean, I think most of the time the criticism has been if you're going up to New York City, if you're going out to California, <laughs> that's where you're spending an awful lot of resources. Going to Louisiana, I mean, you're going to have to recruit in that general area anyway. And if you've already got connections with all the high school coaches there, then it makes some sense. Yeah, there we go. So, you know, looking back at yesterday, looking at looking a bit at today as well as Billy Napier hits the recruiting trail for the Gators. And look, we'll keep up with it all week uh, uh, there as far as where he's going, visiting left and right. Nick Evers is supposed to get a visit later this week as well. The Gators quarterback commit, you know, ahead of his first official visit weekend uh, this coming up weekend in the swamp. So we'll keep an eye out there for all the official visits that are supposed to happen this weekend in the swamp and uh, hit that back again on Gators breakdown next week, as far as recruiting goes, but we'll plenty to get into about the, about the coaching staff, all that good stuff of who's staying, who's leaving, who's coming in, all that good stuff to hear from, from, from Billy Napier and uh, Florida announced us some hires today. But first I think we should probably go ahead and will and get to uh, the, the point looks like, not retaining anyone from Dan Mullen's staff. And I think we kind of knew um, there weren't going to be many, if there were going to be any at all, held over from Dan Mullen's staff. And look, the, the names that we were thinking about could stay behind Tim Brewster, tight end coach there for Florida. Maybe Bidley Gonzalez because of what he's done at wide receiver. But 
look, there's the history there with Dan Mullen and, and everybody else that's on the staff that's historically been uh, together for so long. And then you move into the other side of the ball, would Wesley McGriff be able to be retained? Christian Robinson, David Turner, none of them. Nobody, even on the other side of the ball, Billy Napier is not, you know, ha- doesn't have his background in on the defensive side of the ball, getting new hires, new staff for that side of the ball as well. So nobody, from everything I can gather right now, uh, this, a lot of it hasn't been officially announced out there, but not retained uh, for the University of Florida. Will so you you looking at this, and I don't think you can you, you can't be upset with it. Of course, uh, after what we have seen on the field, were there some good pieces to the staff? Yeah, we all had respect and a little bit of admiration for what David Turner was able to do up front with his defensive line. Christian Robinson, to a point, with his linebacker, you know, his recruiting uh, overall, would he be able to be retained? Uh, without Todd Grantham, the defensive coordinator, did those last two games versus Missouri and FSU mean anything as how, with how well maybe the defense played in those two games after the embarrassing Sanford performance? Could he be retained? Wesley McGriff with some SEC experience, uh, being back there on the back end, would he be retained uh, for the staff on the defensive side of the ball? But it looks like nobody from the staff or Dan Mullen's staff uh, will be retained. And look, we're going to look at, look at this. There's probably going to be some transfers because it is probably miss on some recruits because of this, because there are relationships out there uh, with these guys. And there's a lot of current players on this team that have a lot of respect for David Turner, have a lot of respect for Christian Robinson and probably getting their feelings hurt just a bit right here. Uh, Will. So, you know, you can't expect some transfers because of, you know, the coaches that recruited these guys for so long have coached these guys for so long will not be a part of Billy Napier's staff. Sure. I mean, I think, you know, at the end of the day, though, you are what your record says you are. And Florida obviously yep. struggled last year, and especially on the defensive side of the ball, has struggled now for a couple of years. And so I don't think it could be a giant surprise that there's going to be a bloodletting, especially on that side of the ball. I'm a little bit surprised that Brewster didn't stay, maybe. But again, you look back at what Neil Blackman, our friend, wrote about on Saturday down south in terms of just the general um, the general culture that had been brewing there with, with Todd Grantham and John Havasey and then obviously under Dan Mullen. And there've been some not, there've been some unflattering things that have come out about, you know, there being leaks in the department and that sort of stuff as well. And so you, you start, you know, how much of that is true and how much of that is, is perception or somebody's opinion. I don't necessarily know, but I do think that, you know, one of the things that Napier really stressed yesterday in his press conference, one of the things I think he stressed at Louisiana, just because you can see it from the way things operated when he decided to leave is that he's somebody who wants to build a culture and a system where he trusts the people that he's working with. And so that trust requires relationships, not just with recruits. I mean, it requires relationships with your coaches. And so this coaching staff isn't one that he has a ton of relationships with. And so I suspect that one of the things that you're going to see is that the people who do get brought in are going to be people who have relationships with Billy Napier, not just with Louisiana, but, you know, guys who he maybe worked with, with Nick Saban at Alabama or guys that he worked with at, uh, at Colorado state with Jim, McElwain like those are the types of people that you're probably going to see get brought in 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 key roles because it's really important that you trust the people that you bring in that you trust that they're all moving in the same direction and that when you're trying to put processes in place that you can trust that everybody's going to try to execute your processes as opposed to going and freelancing and so I suspect that's one of the things you know, same reason all the guys are coming over from Louisiana is he needs people who he can trust to help implement his systems and processes. And that's true, whether it's recruiting, that's true, whether it's on-field stuff, and that's true, whether it's one of his eight, you know, sort of modules during the season that he's going to have with each of these players is that they're going to have to be people who understand how to do that and do that well, because he can't sit there and teach people. He can't teach his assistant coaches his processes, at least not completely, because he needs to be out on the out on the road recruiting. And so um, having people who are familiar with that stuff back home, I think is going to be an important part of what he's building in Gainesville. Yeah, we did hear uh, Vernell Brown made a tweet this morning. So he'll be, you know, off the field as uh, part of this Gator staff still. Uh, he says he, he'll be able to be, to be retained in, in uh, kind of his player relationship role. And I don't know if that expands or not. You know, we'll, we'll see if that expands uh, somewhat there uh, from what he was able to do under Dan Mullen. But Vernell Brown will still be around uh, the program as well. And, you know, some other behind-the-scenes staffers, you know, we'll have to look and see. Uh, get confirmed here, you know, uh, Chase Clark, uh, Shane Graham, Sharif, Sharif Floyd's name has been brought up there. You know, we'll see if we hear uh, more from those guys, you know, not on-field roles, not the the 10 on-field assistants 
uh, that we we look at here uh, for you know building Napier staff that we'll get into. You know, some of the hires have already been made uh, there, but uh, yeah, you know, some we'll, we'll get more of the the off field roles. I'm sure as this thing goes on, only so many hours in the day. As we said, he's on the road recruiting, so not meeting with every little single person with as far as coach goes and staffers go and behind the scenes people, you know, that those meetings will come. Those people are still under contract. They still have two obligations to their current jobs to fulfill. So that's what they'll be doing. Uh, but uh, you know, we'll see what this means for, for off the field staff as well. But well, he mentioned it yesterday in the press conference, everybody and what we've kind of been preaching as well. Everybody needs to be on the same page. Everybody needs to have the end goal in sight. That end goal is a championship. Everybody needs to be, moving in the same direction. Yeah, I mean, there is no quick fix, I think is sort of what the takeaway was yeah. from yesterday's press conference, right, is that you're not trying to put a Band-Aid in a bullet hole. And that was really, I think, most people's criticism of Dan Mullen when it was like, hey, we'll make up for the recruiting deficits in the transfer portal is, is that you're trying to use a different system or quick fixes at least to cover up the holes that you have in your recruiting. And Napier's goal is to make sure that he doesn't have any holes, right? And that's going to take a little while to get all that stuff in place. Now, is he going to be able to do it? I have no idea, right? And it's one of the things that'll be fun with this is we're going to get to analyze. We're going to compare to the past. I mean, we've got four head coaches in the last decade that we can look at and compare all the different recruiting profiles to and say, okay, is he hitting the metrics that he needs to hit in year one, year two, year three to get the, get the program to where it needs to go. Um, you know, at the same time, there's also, you know, the interesting thing is when you think about analysts and sort of what they end up doing, and I know Napier doesn't have the same sort of cachet as Nick Saban. At the same time, you're going to have a lot of assistants who are probably sort of looking for, um, a one-year stop to then get back into college football somewhere. You think about what just happened at Miami. Think about what's happening in, up in Oregon, right? And and how many assistants are there going to be who are going to say, you know what, if Napier can turn this thing around and I can get my name associated with Billy Napier, does that help my career more than going and becoming like a you know a, a lower level defensive coordinator or a lower le- lower level safeties coach or something like that? So I do think there are hey, some opportunities. Billy- it's what Billy Napier did when he said he went to Alabama. You know, after Absolutely. Clinton, he, get, he gets fired, goes to Alabama. He wanted to learn under that, took a lower role. He could have went somewhere else to be an offensive coordinator, probably a lower school, but he went to Alabama to go learn the process from Nick Saban. Yeah, well, again, I mean, Saban had some cachet at that point, right? He'd oh, already yeah, yeah, won, true. Yeah, yeah, already yeah. won a national champion. Right, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, national I didn't mean to make that, that part of the connection but, there. <laughs> but, but my point is, is that when you think about him filling out his analyst staff, and even when you think about him filling out his overall staff, there's still some bloodletting to be done at the college yeah. level and there's still going to be some good assistants who come free. And the last thing you want to do is fill up your staff with guys that you're sort of eh, maybe on when there might be some guys who are out there who would want to make the jump. And again, if you look at like the places that Napier has been, I mean, the the connections that he has are pretty heavy with Georgia and with Alabama. Those are two teams that are still in the playoffs, right? So if he's going to offer higher level jobs to guys who are maybe at lower level positions at either of those two schools, he's obviously going to have to wait a month to do that. He's not going to be able to hire those guys away um, until the playoffs over. And so we'll have to see. I think he's willing to be patient with that, that sort of stuff, mainly because he's got his trusted confidants from Louisiana coming with him. He's clearly identified the people that he thinks can be stars in the sec and said, I'm going to bring you over. And I think, you know, some of the people, and there are some opportunities for some people from that staff at Louisiana to have bigger roles as well. But I, you know, based on what he's said about the guys he's bringing over from Louisiana, I think he thinks he's identified the next generation of stars and he made sure he had those guys on his staff. Great tease, Will. That's what's coming next here on Gators Breakdown. All those new hires that we're talking about here. Patrick, Tony, Jabbar, Jaloub, Mark Hockey, Ryan O'Hara, the, the announcements from the University of Florida today on those guys uh, being the new hires. But before we get there, cryptocurrency is the future, so don't get left in the past. Bet with my bookie, and you can get in the game now. To get you kick-started with crypto, use my promo code GATORS to double your first crypto deposit at my bookie. When you use crypto, you can do it at MyBookie to go bet. Best part is MyBookie accepts all the well-known cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Litecoin, so you can bet and withdraw with crypto. The NFL playoffs are around the corner, and this week the Buffalo Bills and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will face off in a potential Super Bowl preview. Both teams sit one win away from earning the top spot in their respective conference, but in this high-stakes game, bet the Bucks money line. Don't miss out. Double your first deposit up to $1,000 by using promo code GATORS. Head to MyBookie today, place your bets, 
and watch the Sparks Fly also coming up on UFC 269. Bet on anything, anywhere, anytime at my bookie. All right, well, let's get into these hires here. I just uh, mentioned the names there. If you've all been out there, social media, you've seen it all. You've seen the announcements there from Florida's uh, staff hires. And, well, let's start right here on the defensive side of the ball. Patrick Tony gets announced as the co-defensive coordinator, safety's coach for the University of Florida in Billy Napier's first staff here. And here's the announcement the University of Florida sent out that Florida has named Patrick Tony co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach spent the last four seasons with Napier at Louisiana served as the raging Cajuns defensive coordinator from you know the last um, last couple seasons in addition to coaching safeties in 2018 to 2020 and outside linebackers in 2021 during his two seasons as defensive coordinator at Louisiana Tony helped the raging Cajuns to two Sun Belt championships in year one, under Tony's guidance, the Louisiana defense set the tone, ranking fourth in the Sun Belt and 31st nationally in scoring defense at 22 points, while also ranking fourth in the league and 33rd nationally in total defense, 355.4 yards a game. In 2021, Tony's defense finished first in the conference in scoring defense, 18.3 points a game, and tied for ninth nationally while ranking fourth in passing defense in the league, giving up 2,589 yards. Before arriving at Louisiana, Tony spent two seasons as the safeties coach at UTSA. In 2017, the Roadrunners defense ranked seventh among FBS programs, allowing 287.8 yards per game. The team finished eighth in scoring defense with 17 points per game, second in first down defense with 166, and 19th in passing efficiency defense with a passing rating of 112.19 given up. In his first year at San Antonio, he helped lead the Roadrunners to six wins in the program's first-ever bowl game in the 2016 New Mexico Bowl. Prior to UTSA, Tony spent the 2015 season as a secondary coach at Sam Houston State. And before Sam Houston State, spent three seasons at Southeastern Louisiana, where he was a safeties coach, special teams coordinator in 2014, after serving as a defensive assistant working with the secondary the two previous seasons. So there we go, Will, part of the defensive staff here from Billy Napier, co-defensive coordinator. So we have to keep that co in mind, Will, and wonder who the other defensive coordinator is. Uh, so, you know, we all know uh, the, the hot names out there that's been discussed uh, the last couple of weeks. But here we go, Patrick Tony getting the announcement uh, there that uh, it will he will be the co-defensive coordinator. But, Will, I want to share my good buddy Dave Schultz Shared uh, so Saturday night after the Sun Belt Championship, uh, Billy Napier was asked uh, about Tony and what he meant to him. And Napier had some good things to say. So, this was as recent as a couple of days ago, right after the Sun Belt Championship. Patrick works hard, man. I mean, he's he is. Um, I've been around a lot of coaches, right? I mean, I've worked in the, some of the best programs in the entire country. I mean, I've worked not only with some of the best head coaches, but uh, it gets overlooked, um, the assistant coaches that you get a chance to be around, right? Um, and this guy came here as our safeties coach. Um, he, had, he had a huge um, input into what we were doing. Uh, he, was, he was trained um, by an outstanding football coach in Ron Roberts, who's doing a terrific job at Baylor. Um, <coughs> And there was no question. I mean, it, it took 30 minutes, you know, 30 seconds, five minutes when Ron left to make the call to PT. And, uh, you know, he's done a great job. He's done a great job schematically. More importantly, he's done a great job leading, right? Um, his ability to have relationships with the players. Uh, you can't hide with players, right? You can't hide with these guys, right? I mean, um, they got, they're always watching, right? So uh, he knows what he's doing. Uh, he cares about the players. He works hard to get to know them. Uh, he's a great teacher. Uh, and he continues to evolve, man. This guy's working around the clock. Um, so I'm proud of PT. Um, he's made me better. You know, he's, he's certainly, he and I, uh, we go at it every day, right? So um, <coughs> He, he's a heck of a football coach, man. He's got it. He, we're going to be telling stories about this guy one day. That's what I would tell you, right? Uh, 
I think he's pretty special. Pretty special, Will. Pretty special to, for Billy Napier to bring him as his co-defensive coordinator in his big first big job at Florida. Look, that interview was just a couple of days ago, so if we were to interview Billy Napier today, Will, that's exactly probably the answer we would get right there. So no need, no need to ask Billy Napier about, about Tony because that's the answer we'd probably get uh, right now if he was right here on this podcast. So co-DC, we've, we've heard a name, you know, Doug Belk out there, Jim Knowles out there as well. So we'll see what the other co-defensive coordinator part of this is, but – well, I think you have to like the trajectory of one Patrick Tony here coming in as a defensive coordinator for the Gators. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously what Napier says about him is is great, right? You've got somebody who, um, who you know, he brought in from UTSA and and learned under Ron Roberts, who's somebody who then was poached by Baylor and Dave Aranda, who is one of Aranda's sort of um, Aranda was one of his proteges. Aranda obviously had some success at uh, at LSU before becoming the head coach of Baylor. So you know that sort of that sort of coaching tree says something about the training that Tony got while he was there at Louisiana before he took over. And then he took over. The interesting thing is, is Roberts takes over in 2018, and when you look at yards per play allowed. Um, Louisiana ranked 113th that first year, then 52nd in 2019. And then Tony takes over and they end up 16th in 2020 and 15th in 2021. And the, the interesting thing is, is if you look at the offensive performance at Louisiana, it was pretty consistent across those four years. You start looking at the defensive performance and that's really where they started to make hay there in 2020 and 2021. So those two you know, the 23 wins or whatever Louisiana has over the last two years, a lot of that is attributable to the defensive performance. And that defensive performance, you know, oftentimes you see jumps from one year to the next. I mean, especially when you get somebody to take over. So we saw that with Grantham, actually, from 2018 to 2019. The 18 defense wasn't great. There was a jump in performance in 2019, and then things started to sort of settle back to, to bad years for, for Grantham and the defense. Tony was able to take – sort. Of, there was that jump under Roberts in that first year and then a second jump when Tony took over and then able to maintain that in 2021. I think that says something about his ability to get through the players, his ability to make sure that the schemes are properly in, implemented, and then uh, obviously his ability to motivate the players to go out there and play at a high level every week. So, you know, really you think about the way if, – if you go read about what Napier wants from a defense, he wants to put pressure on the ball and he wants to limit big plays. They do that for the most part through um, – through through schemes that are not the same type of schemes that you get from a Ty Grantham defense, right? You're not going to be blitzing from all over the place. And really when you heard Napier say the other day that he wants to be physical, he wants to be physical up front and that he wants to win that physical battle. He's not just talking about the offensive line and being able to run the ball. He's really in my mind talking about the defensive line, being able to get to the quarterback, cause turnovers, cause havoc and eliminate the big plays because you don't give the quarterback enough time to drop back and do that. And certainly, Tony's been able to do that the last couple of years there at Louisiana. Yeah, so good pickup. Uh, if you go out there and, and search, a lot of people were, you know, they were wondering if he would bring Tony with him. They thought he should bring Tony with him because he's a young up-and-comer um, there uh, at, at Louisiana. So he gets a co-defensive coordinator role at Florida. As I said, we'll learn hopefully soon the other co-defensive coordinator that will be a part of this defensive staff for the Gators. So – uh, but he, you know, the, the second part of that is coaching safeties as well. So now, now moving on from Wesley McGriff from last year's staff, and now uh, Tony will be a part of coaching uh, that, that Gator secondary back there. And look, look Billy Napier said it yesterday, just, you know, you, you, he's not going to have just one secondary coach. So, you know, some schools do that. Uh, he will have two offensive, court, two offensive line coaches, much like people do in the secondary. So you have a safeties coach here with – uh, Tony, and then we'll get a cornerbacks coach. Uh, I'm sure with the uh, either a separate cornerbacks coach or the next co DC uh, will have that role as well. So, all right, let's keep it going here. Jabbar Jaluk uh, is the next uh, hire that was announced uh, by Florida. Well, I'm not going in order the way they announced it here, but uh, Jabbar Jaluk comes over from Louisiana as well. Running backs and associate head coach on offense. Billy Napier tabbed Jabbar Jaluk as the Gators' next running backs coach and associate head coach. Spent the last four years as well at Louisiana from 2018 to 2021, which included four straight Sun Belt West Division titles and a share of the Sun Belt in 2020-2021. Jaluk coached two running backs that were drafted back-to-back -back years, Eli Mitchell by the San Francisco 49ers and Raymond Calais by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
River. This is at Louisiana. There's running backs drafted here. Mitchell was named first team all Sun Belt in 2020 and led Louisiana in rushing with 141 carries for 878 yards and eight touchdowns. His yardage total was third in the league, 23rd nationally, while his eight rushing scores were the fifth most in the Sun Belt and tied for 41st nationally. Mitchell finished his career ranked fifth in career rushing touchdowns with 41 and sixth in career rushing yards, 3,267. He set a program record for most rushing yards in a bowl game after tallying 127 and a touchdown in the Surf Pro First Responder Bowl. The 2019 Football Scoop Running Back Coach of the Year was Jaluk, led the Reducations to its best rushing season in program history in 2019, setting school records in total rushing yards, 3,604 yards, and rushing touchdowns with 42. Louisiana finished the season ranked third nationally in yards per rush, 6.28, rushing touchdowns, 42, and sixth in total rushing yards. Prior to his season at Texas Tech in 2017, he was the running backs coach at LSU in 2016. Jaluk tutored one of the nation's top running backs from Leonard Fournette, who was the number five overall selection in the NFL draft. We know him very well. And he also worked with Darius Geis that season, pushing the sophomore to 1,428 yards and 11 touchdowns while being named the all-SEC first team with Fournette. That was in 2016. That was the uh, goal line stand year uh, in Baton Rouge there for the Gators. Jaluk was the running backs coach that year for LSU. He began his college coaching career, Louisiana Tech, where he spent two seasons in 2014-2015. Jaluk helped develop the Bulldogs with the Conference USA West Division title in 2014. Also heavily involved in recruiting efforts, helped land three 2017 NFL draft picks in wide receivers, Carlos Henderson for the Broncos, Trent Taylor for San Francisco, Safety Xavier Woods for the Dallas Cowboys. Well, very deep roots in the state of Louisiana, Jabbar Luke. They were visiting Louisiana today. That's no mistake. Hopefully, he can bring those roots over here to Florida as well or dig or put some new roots in the state of Florida, use that recruiting prowess that he uses in Louisiana, recruit that well in the state of Florida. But there we go, Jabbar Luke. Yeah, well, certainly I think running back recruiting would be a welcome change for the Florida program. Obviously, we've had some transfers come in with Demarcus Bowman and Lorenzo Lingard, though those guys haven't really paid off yet. But there were some gaps there, no doubt about it, when it came to recruiting there at Florida at the running back position. And and to be honest, I mean, when's the last time that Florida really had an explosive running back? When I mean, we had Kelvin Taylor under the uh, you know under the McIlwain regime, we had Theatric Face on there, sort of towards towards the, you know the end of the Zook regime, and and you know, we, well, that's a good question, though, man. I mean, the last explosive running back, it, it, it's been a while. I mean, Matt yeah, Jones absolutely. was special in a way. Mike Gillisley was special in a way, but they haven't had that explosiveness um, you know, on any consistent basis whatsoever. Well, but that, that also comes back to evaluation, right? Because if Will yeah. Muschamp hadn't wanted Derek Henry to play linebacker, we, we might have had a pretty good running back there if they'd have been able to pull him home. So so certainly recruiting, I think, will be a welcome change, and Jaluk seems to be somebody who has that capability, not only deep recruiting roots in, in Louisiana, but just an approach that I think is you know one of the reasons you go get, get a guy like Jaluk if you're Billy Napier is because you're going to bring him in. He's going to follow your process, but he's going to be able to sell your program and what you're trying to do right off the bat and i based on reputation alone i think jaluk's probably a really nice addition now and you know time will tell right i mean obviously you gotta close the deal and and nothing's been closed yet but but that's part of it so the one thing i will say is that when you look at his record of of running backs people who want to see a bell cow running back with 30 carries a game are probably going to be kind of disappointed so this year chris smith had 153 rush attempts montrell johnson 143 one averaged 5.6, the other averaged 5.5 yards per rush. So still splitting carries among the the top two running backs. Last year with Elijah Mitchell, you mentioned he goes to the NFL. Trey Ragas 
is the uh, is the number two back. 141 attempts for Mitchell and 131 for Ragas. So and Mitchell averaged 6.2 yards per attempt and Ragas averaged 5.8. So again, splitting carries sort of in the Michael P. Ryan, Jordan Scarlett type of endeavor, but not in the same way that the carries were split this year between you know Malik Davis and and Naquan Wright and, and Damian Pierce. So um, there well, is what going we to be saw some- Saturday and what we saw Saturday night and watching that game in Louisiana, they had the running back and I forget his name, but he got the hot hand. They stayed with him. Yeah. Well, I mean, so that's all we've ever really asked for, right? Is that yeah. Damian Pierce rips off eight straight runs and, and scores a touchdown. Why is Naquan right or why is, why is Malik Davis out there for the next drive? Um, though you could say the same thing about the quarterback position with the staff too. So um Look, I, I think at the end of the day, we can say all we want about Jaluk. I don't, I, and and I think that it makes sense to have multiple running backs, especially in the SEC, because yeah. you're going to need them, right? If you give a guy 25, 26, 27 carries a game in the SEC, you're not going to have him by the time the eighth or ninth or tenth game comes around, or he's at least not going to be nearly as effective. It's it's hard to give a guy 300 carries in college football. In fact, Derrick Henry, I think, is probably the last guy to really carry what we would consider like a traditional, you know, Eddie George type role at running back. I think you're going to have to rotate people in. And for two reasons, one is you don't want them to get injured, but two is I think recruits look at that, right? They want to show off what they can do, but they also want to have some tread on the tires for when they get, you know, for when the NFL comes calling and they start getting evaluated. Nobody wants to be that guy who had two seasons of 350 carries in college and the NFL is going, well, you know, is he going to get injured right away when he comes in? Is he going to already have lost a step? Those sorts of things. So splitting carries isn't necessarily bad. Like you said, it's more of the strategy of are you willing to go with the guy who's getting the job done that day? And and are you willing to to let that guy roam and your more skilled player roam when you get into a game against a Georgia or an LSU or an Alabama when you really need it? as opposed to a game against Vanderbilt where splitting carries isn't really that big a deal. All right, so there was the two on-field hires that the Gators made. Will, so a lot made of that. Oh, it's two guys from Louisiana. He's doing the same thing Dan Mullen did. He's bringing guys from Mississippi State. Look, guys, there's eight more spots available. There's only two right now from Louisiana. Yes, we'll get into the other hires from Louisiana as well that were announced today, but two on-field hires. You got ten total. Talked about that yesterday on Gators Breakdown. The uh, pool of money that's also going to be going to those guys at seven and a half million dollars, uh, there for these, these assistants. But you know, before we get a little overreaction, before I know a little gun shy because what Dan Mullen did, uh, in bringing the buddy system, this right now is uh, even if he does, you know, uh, look, Will, I'm at the point right now, you know, when, when new head coach comes in, this is the benefit of the doubt, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm trusting you to you give me a reason not to you know so if he does the same thing Dan Mullen does and brings a lot of those Louisiana staff members look those that's part of the reason why Billy Napier is so good he has made some identified went and some some young coaches out there that have helped him along the way helped him those last four years as being a head coach if he wants to bring some of those guys then he's going to do it if he feels comfortable doing it and then by all means let make let him feel comfortable just because it didn't work for Dan Mullen doesn't mean it's not going to work for Billy Napier. So I, don't get me wrong. I get being gun shy because of the buddy system that Dan Mullen brought in and it, it didn't work. Also, part of that is the loyalty and hanging on to him a bit too long. But, Will, I mean, it's right now a bit of an overreaction by bringing two staffers from Louisiana when there's eight more spots available. Yeah, I mean, look, so I think there's a couple of things there. One is that, you know, you're always sort of looking for the opposite when you bring in a new head coach because of what you saw with the, with the previous head yeah. coach. And so Napier's not going to do everything. That's the complete opposite of Dan Mullen. And he shouldn't, right? I mean, Mullen won nine games a year while he was here. If, if this bowl game wins, that'll be or If Florida wins the bowl game against UCF, it'll be 36 wins over four years. It's nine wins a year. Now that's not good enough for what Florida fans want, but that's still really effective, right? And when a year season with 10 wins, a season with 11 wins, and then the shortened season with eight wins. So I look at it and I say, okay, like Mullen did many things right. And there were many things or, or some key things that he did wrong. And so for Napier to come in and just bomb the system in order to make sure that he can build it the exact way he wants to do it, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You've got things in place. You've got players in place. You've got some infrastructure in place. And the question is, how are you going to build your system around that and use those sorts of things? So, you know, again, I come back to, you can't complain that Mullen never made changes and all that sort of stuff. And then when Napier comes in and gets rid of the entire staff, go, well, he should have kept some people behind. 
And then at the same time, when he brings a couple of people over from Louisiana, go, oh, it's the, it's the old buddy system. Like, look, people bring in people that they trust. That's the way it works in the real world, right? You don't bring in people. You know, if, if I got hired by a different company, I would go and pursue people that I've worked with in the past who I know are good and who I know I trust. Because at the end of the day, that's how you build a team as you bring in those sorts of people that you know have your back at all at all at all junctures and mullen did that and i don't think that's a mistake i think the mistake that he made is that you know at the end of the day the recruiting had to filter from the head coach down and that you know the emphasis was not there on the recruiting in the way that i think florida fans wanted it and in the way that alabama and georgia said it so napier can bring in people from previous stops. I'm fine with that. The question is, is mm-hmm. how is he prioritizing what he's asking those people to do? There and as long go. as he's prioritizing the right things, I mean, because again, it filters from the head coach down. At the end of the day, if the head coach is somebody who's not fully bought in with recruiting, then the staff isn't going to be fully bought in with recruiting. You More is caught than taught. You can tell people, I can tell my kids all I want, that you should eat right, you should eat right, you should eat right. And then if I sit there and don't eat any vegetables, then why would I expect them to eat vegetables when they finally have a choice, right? Like at the end of the day, there's an accountability that 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 filters down from the head coach. And that's, I think, the key difference or going to need to be the key difference between Billy Napier and Dan Mullen. Whether he can do that or not is, is the open question, right? But I don't think bringing somebody from Louisiana that he trusts is indicative that he's following, quote, unquote, the Mullen plan or anything like right. that. What, what, what's going to say whether, he, whether he's following the Mullen plan is whether his bump class in 2023 is ranked third in the country. And if, <laughs> if that's the case, then he's not following the Mullen plan. If it ends up ranked ninth, I'm going to be squawking just as loud as I was in 2019 after Mullen finished ninth because at the end of the day, that's not going to be good enough to compete with Georgia and Alabama. So time will tell. I don't think any of us understand. I think it's hard to understand what each of these coaches is bringing to the table. Napier clearly had a plan when he sat down with Scott Strickland in terms of who he was going to hire, and they were impressed in terms of his list. But part of that, I mean, part of building a program, part of building a staff is the understanding from the staff that, one, you're going to build into young people. Right, that you're going to have young assistants that you're building into, and that you want them to leave in some circumstances. Right, there would be nothing better than if Patrick Tony was a head coach somewhere in two years, because what it would mean is that our defense actually gets off the field. Right, <laughs> and, and so at the end of the day, I think I think you want to be building into people who are 30, 32, 35 years old. You don't want to bring in, you know, no offense specifically, but Paul Pascaloni as a defensive assistant, like that's not somebody that you're building a program with. That's somebody that you're bringing in in a advisory role based on the experience that he has in the past. And I want if I'm trying to recruit 18, 17, 18, and 19 year olds. The guy I want's the 32 year old guy with a ton of energy, not not oh, yeah. a guy who's who's been around the block since you know 1985. <laughs> Good stuff there, Will. So yeah, we'll get you know eight more on field hires, and we'll see if any more come from Louisiana. We'll see if anybody comes from the SEC, state of Florida, all that good stuff there uh, when, when we look at it. But eight more hires to be made as far as on field uh, assistance goes. So we'll we'll keep our ears open, our eyes peeled for any of those hires uh, being made here. So couple of non-on-field roles, off-field roles here for the Gators uh, being announced today as well. And Mark Hockey, associate head coach, director of football strength and conditioning there, uh, comes over from Louisiana, spent all four seasons at Louisiana with Napier, which included all those four Sunbelt West division titles. Hockey began his collegiate coaching career at the University of Alabama in 2009. Magical year there for Alabama, of course, in 2009. Spending six seasons on head coach Nick Saban's staff and was with Napier in Tuscaloosa during the 2011 and 2014-15 seasons. He helped coach three teams that won BCS National Championships in 2009, 2012, 2013. Trained over 35 players that signed NFL contracts, including 10 first-round NFL draft picks. New Orleans native also headed the off-season player leadership council. So there we go, another Louisiana ties there, being from New Orleans, but leaving Louisiana to come to Florida. He served as the head strength and conditioning coach at the University of Georgia in 2015, where he directed a 15-person staff that trained a pair of all SEC honorees and NFL offensive linemen as the Bulldogs finished the year with a 10-3 and record, which included a win over Penn State in the Gator Bowl. 
Will, I missed that part uh, in the in the bio when I read over it quickly. In 2015, that would have been Mark Rick's last year at Georgia, if I'm not mistaken, uh, there. So hockey was part of Mark Rick's last uh, stand at UGA. Hockey was on the strength and conditioning staff at Texas A&M in 2017 and Florida State in 2016. His certifications include CSCCC certified, FMS screen certified as well as USA weightlifting level one sports performance coach certified. So there's your Mark Hockey background there, ties to Billy Napier back in his time at Alabama. I mean, I obviously I think this means that the uh, the era of Coach Savage is over, which I know a lot of players are disappointed in, and 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 yeah. I think we've had some fun with Nick Savage since he came to Gainesville, and and especially considering some of the strength and conditioning stories that came out after Jim McElwain was was gone. But you know, hey, look, I mean, at the end of the day, the team, especially in the fourth quarter, the last two years, hasn't really exhibited the kind of toughness that you'd need in order to retain the strength and conditioning coach. And I'll tell you what I really like about hockey is, is the, the 2009 Alabama team when he started on that staff, that is the team that took off that picked off Tim Tebow in Florida in 2009 and was sort of the revenge campaign for Alabama after losing to Tebow and company there in 2008, the SEC championship game. So he's seen all those motivational tactics that Saban used to, really sort of get everybody geared up to take on Florida that year. I mean, if you remember, uh, I think it was uh, McElroy basically said that in 2009, he went to watch the film in Flo- for Florida and went, oh, that's what we've been running on our scout team all year long in terms mm-hmm. of the defense. So clearly Alabama had put an emphasis on beating Florida, had said that's where we're going to get to, and, and hockey was a part of that. Obviously a minor part of that, but still a part of that, and then was able to continue to grow in his role there in, in 2012-2013 while Billy Napier was there, right? So again, I think that Napier connection, not just at Louisiana, but the Napier connection to Alabama, where both of those guys were um, – neither one of them had authority over the other. But they were, I'm sure, able to have conversations about their core values and about the principles that they wanted and how they would build a program if they had an opportunity to build it by themselves. And so now Napier's got a guy that he trusts there at the strength and conditioning role, and he's got specific plans, right? I mean, he he went over his eight-point plan for these guys, and a big part of that is going to be hockey out there um, – out there when the coaches can't be with the players, right? The strength and conditioning coach is the guy who is allowed to be out with them. And so being able to drill in Napier's principles when Napier's not around, I think is a big deal. So it's not a surprise to me that the strength and conditioning coach would come in and would be a Napier guy. To me, that's the one that really makes sense, right? Because again, Napier can hire assistants who he can redirect if they're telling a player something that's not in line with his core principles during the the hours that the coaches are allowed to spend with the players. It's when the coaches aren't allowed to spend time with the players and the only guy who's allowed to spend time with them is the strength and conditioning coach that you need a guy who's completely aligned with your principles, your core values, and how you want to run a program. And so in my mind, that makes the most sense to bring somebody from Louisiana and somebody that you trust for that particular role. Yeah, and Josh from the Raging Review podcast pretty much previewed this last week, saying this was a move he thought would happen uh, as well when Billy Napier made the transition from Louisiana uh, to Florida. So kind of had a heads up on that one uh, about a new strength and conditioning coach for the University of Florida. So the last one, Will, that was announced today, Ryan O'Hara, the offensive analyst and quarterbacks. And look, I asked a question to Billy Napier if he was going to call the plays at the University of Florida. He said he would and he'd have the help of an analyst. It looks like we found that analyst, Will. Ryan O'Hara will be that offensive analyst that helps Billy Napier here call the plays, get the quarterbacks ready, and run this offense for the University of Florida. O'Hara will work closely with Napier and the quarterbacks. He spent the last four years at Louisiana. So, look, all these guys have been Louisiana with Billy Napier all four seasons there. Uh, So 2018 to 2021 um, at Louisiana, helping the Raging Cajuns. So all those four Sunbelt West Division titles. During his time at Louisiana, O'Hara contributed in the development of quarterback Levi Lewis, who was named the 2021 Sunbelt Conference Championship Game MVP. Lewis became the first 3,000-yard passer in program history with 3,050 yards and setting the single-season record for touchdown passes of 26, throwing for 2,274 yards and 19 touchdowns in 2020. Lewis entered his final season this past season, ranked second in career passing touchdowns with 54 
third in career passing yards, 6,286, and fourth in career completions with 485. Prior to Louisiana, O'Hara made stops at Alabama A&M University, where he served as offensive coordinator and coached the wide receivers. O'Hara also coached quarterbacks at Mount San Antonio College and Santa Monica College. He was a starting quarterback for the University of Central Oklahoma for two seasons, led the program to a Lone Star Conference North champion in 2006, also named All-Conference that same season. So there we go. Ryan O'Hara, been with Billy Napier, last four years, coaching offense, coaching quarterbacks at Louisiana. So, Will, it does seem, the way Billy Napier answered that question yesterday, he will be pretty involved, uh, but no, no, kind of a off, you know, off-field, offensive analyst role here, not on the sideline, not the play caller. That's going to be Billy Napier, but a lot of help here from Ryan O'Hara. Yeah, the thing I like about it is that, you know, at Alabama A&M in 16 and 17 before he came to Louisiana, he was the team's offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach. So certainly he has some experience calling plays, has some experience making adjustments, and is going to be able to help Napier when it comes to those sorts of things. Though obviously as an analyst, he's not going to be on the headset on game day, so he's not going to be able to help him with those sorts of things. Um, But, you know, Napier made it very clear that he thinks it's an advantage to have a second offensive line coach. And by having him coach the offense and call the plays and and coach the quarterbacks, then that frees up other guys on game day to be out there and 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 coaching that particular unit. So, um, you know, and that's one of the things he said think, that he thinks gives him an advantage. We'll see, right? I mean, this is one of those things where I think one of the criticisms of Dan Mullen, and I think in some capacity a, a valid criticism of Dan Mullen, was that a CEO needs to know how to delegate. And the question is going to be having a guy here who's an analyst, is that enough delegation that during game day are the right decisions going to be made on fourth down? Are the right decisions going to be made about whether you should kick a field goal or punt or go for it? Um, Are the right decisions going to be made in terms of all the personnel who end up on the field? Um, If you're busy, worried about your quarterback teaching him when other things are going on. I don't know the answer to that question. Napier seems to have done a pretty good job at Louisiana with all that sort of stuff. Um, but that, but that's sort of the thing I think that would be a concern from the standpoint of you look at Florida when they really excelled. It was with Brian Johnson at offensive coordinator, especially in 2020. Um, and, and I do think that relieved a little bit of the stress and the offensive stress on Dan Mullen a little bit, though I imagine as well that Mullen was heavily involved in that sort of stuff. So it'll probably sort of be the opposite, right, is you'll have O'Hara heavily involved in all the game planning and that sort of stuff, looking at the film and making sure that Napier understands what's coming up and helping put the game plan in place. And then it'll be a question of um, Napier using his gut to decide what plays to call on, on game day when he gets on the field based on all the research that O'Hara's put in. Talk about research, Will. They certainly got the work cut out for them as they get this, uh, as they as they learn about this team and get ready for spring practice in just you know a, a few months. So all the research, uh, you know, will be going on through there through Billy Napier, Ryan O'Hara there. So there we go. There is a look at all the new hires that were announced by the University of Florida today, all from Louisiana. All spent all four years at Louisiana under Billy Napier. Uh, there, two off the field, two on the field. And there we go. We'll uh, move forward from there. Eight more on-field roles to be left to be filled. And we'll also, um, Napier mentioned it yesterday, he's looking to build an army. You know, so all those off-field roles, I don't know if we'll be able to go through all of them on here, <laughs> here on Gators Breakdown, all the analysts uh, that's going to be hired here uh, in the coming weeks and months, uh, or hopefully coming com- com- uh, the coming weeks. Uh, but... Um, Looking forward, looking forward to that army being built. And that was one thing that uh, we hit on as um, Florida's approach under the current staff of not having uh, that type of army to go out there and hit the recruiting trail, to go out there and uh, be analysts and and, and get ready and prepare for opponents. Looks like it might be changing there, but we get our first four announcements today. Hopefully more to come soon, Will. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you only there's only so many days in the week right and so if you're preparing for games day after day after day and you don't during the season and you don't have the that army of analysts then who's reaching out to the recruits right who's making sure that their trips to Gainesville go well who's making sure that they get time with Napier or with whoever the coaches are that are their position coaches you know in between because the the coaches have to be responsible for getting the best team out there and and playing and being successful and so having people to sort of 
manage all of the different things that go along with the recruiting. I mean, you know, we heard stories this year about Alabama and not having players come to that Alabama game specifically because it was Alabama and all the and all the energy had to be sort of put into making sure you were ready for the game with all these analysts, hopefully on the, um, on the staff, you're, you're not, it's not going to be a drain to have recruits on campus. It's going to be a net add to have recruits on campus when you have these big games, because one, you're going to win them. <laughs> and, and so that'll be great to have them in the environment, but two, it's not going to be on the on-field staff to be anything other than be in the position that they're told to be in by these, by these support staff when the recruits come in and that the, the experience is going to be dictated by the, uh, by, by those analysts. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think Nick Saban, Nick Saban has done a lot of things right in his time in Alabama. And mm -hmm. one of the things that he's made sure that he's done is that he's got a ton of support staff. And so, um, it's not a surprise that that's something Billy Napier wants to replicate. And certainly he sees the value and Saban sees the value, right? And Napier was an analyst at one time under Saban. So he knows exactly what that person does, exactly what that role is and exactly the value that they bring. And so I have no doubt he's going to be able to maximize the value from the people that he puts in those particular roles. All right. Good stuff. Will. And before we get off here on this episode of Gators Breakdown, lost in the shuffle a bit uh, with all the Billy Napier press conference stuff. Hey, the Gators do have a bowl game to play in. It was announced on Sunday that they will play UCF in the Gasparilla Bowl, December 23rd, 7 p.m., ESPN, Florida versus UCF. Uh, so, Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, of course, this marks the Gators' first ever appearance in the Gasparilla Bowl. Thankfully, the only first appearance, hopefully the last one as well, uh, which began in 2008 with, and with 2021 representing the 13th edition of the event. Last time Florida competed in a bowl game in its home state was the 2019 Orange Bowl when they defeated Virginia 36-28. Florida's making its 47th all-time bowl appearance, entering the matchup with an all-time record of 24-22 and in previous bowl games. Gators won three straight bowl games from 2016 to 2019 prior to dropping last year's Cotton Bowl versus Oklahoma. Gators and the Golden Knights have faced off twice in history of the two programs, with Florida owning a 2-0 record in the series. The most recent meeting came in the form of a 42 to nothing victory in 2006, while the other matchup in the series was in 1996, when the Gators prevailed 58 to 27. This year's meeting will be the first time Florida and UCF have met in postseason play, as each of the previous games have been at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. Also, beginning in 2024, Florida and UCF are set to begin a three game. Two for one series. The games will be played in 2024 in Gainesville, 2030 in Orlando, 2033 in Gainesville. So, we'll not really a whole lot of excitement for this one <laughs> uh, with Florida season, a lame duck staff, uh, AR having surgery, probably not going to play in the, or not going to play in this game. Look, I mean, we've, it's just precautionary, get things cleaned up, getting ready for spring practice. You know, we'll see. Um, Emory Jones probably be starting this bowl game uh, there, so it will lose some excitement for some of the fan base there. Uh, but one last time to see these Gators, uh, whatever it may look like <laughs> with, with the staff, Will. Uh, so, look, a lot of people are listing, listing this game as a no-win situation for Florida. You got a lame duck staff, you know, not really a whole lot of care for it. But playing UCF, okay, well, you're supposed to win your Florida, or if you lose, ha-ha, you lost to UCF. We know realistically what is the storyline for Florida here. I mean, the staff wondering about their jobs. You know, this, the, the the leftover Dan Mullen staff wonder, wondering about their job. What's their next job going to be? Look, I'm sure they're getting a nice little bowl bonus to, to go coaching this game. They're on a contract to go coaching this game. But, you know, not really. Look, we get to see our Gators play one more time, Will, but big picture, nothing really riding on this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think obviously anytime you strap it up, you go out there and you play for pride. That's one of the things that, that Napier said he was going to make sure that the the fan base and, and that the boosters and that really everybody invested in the in the program, that, that there's going to be a sense of pride around the program. I think that sort of starts with this, right? He, he will have had an opportunity to have met with these players, I'm sure, multiple times by the time by the time this bowl game comes around. And, I mean, if I were Napier, I'd say we evaluate all film. 
doesn't matter what day it is. Doesn't matter whether it's a bowl game. Doesn't matter whether you know you're playing UCF or Alabama. We're going to evaluate all film. And at the end of the day, he's going to go back and look at what these guys put down on tape, and they're going to have an opportunity to either show him that they should get more more of a look, or show him that maybe he should recruit harder at that position. And and I think that expectation can be set. And so you know those guys should be motivated to go out there and play really well. Same by the same token, I think you say the same thing about these coaches, right? These assistant coaches, like you mentioned, they're being paid to do a job, but at the end of the day, they're going to be evaluated too. Somebody's going to decide, hey, Greg Knox, I'm going to want to bring him into my staff. What does he bring to the staff? Oh, he's you know he's an interim head coach. He's got that sort of experience. He can right the ship when things are going wrong. He's sort of a calming influence. That's the kind of guy I want on my staff. Well, again. If Florida goes out and just lays an egg, then, you know, oh, well, Knox was looking for his next job. Again, I, I just don't – I think that ends up being something that's kind of unbecoming. At the end of the day, like, you put your best on film when you go out on the field. And the worst thing you could be called is soft. That's why that athletic article earlier this year was so <laughs> damning, is that the rest of the SEC was calling Florida soft. And if you're going to go out there and be soft against UCF, against all these guys that you played against in high school – and yep. you had the um, both good fortune, but also the ability to get recruited at Florida. Because let's be honest, every single guy in that Florida on that Florida team who's going to be starting in this game could have gone to play for UCF and chose not to. And all the guys on UCF can't say the same thing. In fact, there's just the offensive lineman I think this year who turned down Havasi uh, and decided to go to UCF. Other than that, I think a lot yeah. of these guys sort of dreamed about going to Florida. And so I'm expecting this one to be almost as chippy as the Florida State one. Right, this one's sort of a big brother, little brother, and and if UCF comes out there and hits a couple guys out of bounds and is chirping the whole time, I expect Florida to stand up and, and be pretty strong. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, does seven and six matter that much more than six and seven? Right. No. Um, I know beating UCF though means something from the standpoint of program pride, and means something from the standpoint of the fans not having to deal with people from Orlando yipping and yapping all off season about losing this game, and and so. You know, look, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I think this one probably has more interest for the Florida fan base and the Central Florida fan base than, you know, a Florida, anybody else. You know, if they'd have played Virginia Tech in the in in the bowl up in Charlotte, you know, how much interest would there have been there? It would have been just another right. game. This one, they've actually managed to make it a little bit more than just another game. So I will be curious to see what team comes out there. I'll be interested to see, you know. It's interesting. Emory Jones played really well in a couple of games when Anthony Richardson was injured earlier this year, and there was no chance that he was going to come off the bench. Um, once Richardson came back, that was when the wheels sort of started to fall off there against Kentucky. I'm curious to see with nobody behind him getting all the reps in practice, is Emory Jones able to sort of put it all together? Because, again, you think about what hap- what's going to happen next year. They're not going to be splitting snaps between Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson, irrespective right. of what, irrespective of who goes where. At the end of the day, I, I suspect that Emory Jones is going to transfer and play someplace else. This is his opportunity to go out there and show people that the interceptions he's been throwing all year are an anomaly. That he's learned stuff, learned about playing the position this whole year. And if you think about Felipe Franks transferring to Arkansas after a, a good year under Dan Mullen, um, it would be one year early, but that's kind of what Emory Jones might have the opportunity to do after this season as well. So. Um, Look, it's football, man. We only get 13 of these. And I, I get that people look at it and go, well, it's not the most exciting matchup. And, you know, we'd rather be playing a, a big school from the Big Ten or something like that. But, you know, again, it's playing Iowa or, or I mean, I guess Iowa's better. But, you know, playing some 6-6 six and six team like Purdue or something from the Big Ten, really going to get us all excited? Eh, I'd sort of be like, oh, whatever. So the UCF one at least has some story associated with it. And, um I, I will fire off a couple of tweets at some people who've who've given me crap over the years about UCF's national championship. Should Florida <laughs> go out and beat them by twenty five or thirty? So let's hope that's the result, and then we can go into yeah. the off season sort of smelling those roses and let the Napier era begin in style. Yeah, yeah, because I like you say, and I hope the Gators players and coaching staff need to take it serious and doesn't go out there and get another victory uh, for us. Keep those bragging rights uh, over UCF a bit. We'll right before uh, we, we sign off here. Uh, and we'll take a look at, uh, you know, UCF and, and, and what they bring uh, to the table here as far as, you know, what their record has been um, uh, so far this year. Uh, and I'm trying to pull that up full screen so I can see it better. There we go. Uh, Boise State opened up the, that you know, this year with a win over Boise State, 36-31. 
Uh, you move forward a couple weeks, Louisville, they lose 42-35. That's when Dylan Gabriel, their quarterback, got injured. They were sitting at 2-1, two 2-2 and one, uh, two and two after that game. And then you go through there, they played Cincinnati, of course, not even a close game, 56-21 Cincinnati win. And then in the season finale, they beat UConn 49-17 to finish the season 7-4. and four. And Gus Malzahn, his first year there at the helm, uh, of UCF, but Dylan Gabriel goes down, kind of derails their season a bit. Well, early on in the season, seven and four, I guess, somewhat respectable for UCF when that happens. Uh, but Gus Malzahn's first year, he gets to play the Gators in the bowl game. Yeah, so Temple and Connecticut are really bad. So I'd kind of disregard those yeah. forty-nine point performances. Both of those teams are terrible. Um, I think the fourteen against Tulane, the twenty-four against Memphis, the twenty against East Carolina—that's uh, kind of what you're looking at, right? I mean, so they twenty-one against Cincinnati. Um, and the 28 against SMU. So that's probably what you're going to be looking for from a scoring perspective. So the question will be, can Florida get to 30? Right? I think if Florida gets to 30, then it's a, then it's a pretty easy win. If, if Florida you know will, in uh, my bad, and I had a, a miss there. I think my, my, the, uh, my bug for the, uh, my bookie crawl covered it up. But, yeah, they had a game versus UCF or USF to end the season. That's right. So <laughs> that was not a very good performance. Let me put that back up. A 17-13 win over South Florida as well. Well, again, I think that's sort of the same thing, right? If if yeah. Florida can score thirty, I don't think UCF's going to be able to stick stick with them. If Florida scores seventeen or maybe even twenty four, then it's a much closer game than uh, than we'd like to see. So that's sort of the key to me, and and the key all year long has been can Emory Jones run the ball. And and can he run it efficiently, right? So not 17 rushes for 62 yards. But if he's got 17 rushes, can he have 130 yards? And that's been the key all year long. I think it's going to be the key in this game as well. Um, and, and so, you know, if, if Florida can run the ball efficiently from the quarterback position, they're going to be able to win this one and win this one pretty easily. If UCF is able to shut down Emory Jones or whoever's playing quarterback and have them not be efficient with the running game, then Florida's going to struggle to get some first downs, struggle to be explosive, and the game will be a lot closer probably in that 24 to 17 range, something like that. Yep. So plenty of time. Look forward to that game in the next couple of weeks there, December 23rd, of course, two days before Christmas. So plenty of time to dive into that game the week of, and uh, we'll do it here on Gators Breakdown. I'm sure Will would do it there at Read and Reaction. So a lot of news flying left and right here in Gator Nation right now. Uh, recruiting probably going to take main stage over the next few days. We'll see if any more coaching hires are made as well. Uh, but Will – I think uh, we look left, we look right, we look up, we look down. It's going to be flying all this from all directions, man. <laughs> Never a dull moment, Dave. You didn't Never know a dull moment. Came, you didn't know when you came up with that how uh, how appreciative it would be. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's fun, right? I mean, it's one of those things where I had even stopped writing about recruiting because it was just the same story every year, right? Yeah. It's like I've, I've said my piece, right? It, it is what it is. It's It's – I don't think it's going to be good enough, but it is what it is. And so every year, National Signing Day, I'd go, all right, it's Groundhog Day. It's the same thing all over again. Um, it's no longer Groundhog Day, right? We've decided to make a change. Florida's decided to make a change. And so it may be better. It may be worse, but it's not going to be the same. And so it's exciting to see, um, to have that hope that things can be different, to have the hope that the right guy's here to help compete with Kirby and help compete with Saban. And, uh, you know, we'll see how that works as things move on. You know, Napier's not going to make a perfect hire with every single assistant. The thing that I'm actually looking for is after a year or two, you know, does he decide that it's time to make a change with some of these people yeah. that he brings in as the initial guys? And that's one of the things I think that Dan Mullen just wasn't willing to do. And one of the recent, one of the things that wound up being his undoing, right? I mean, not just with Todd Grantham, but Grantham's the one who jumps out. And so, um, you know, the willingness to make changes, the willingness to make adjustments on the fly, the willingness to admit that you're wrong, and and get those things right over the long haul, I think is going to be the, the thing that either serves Napier well or is eventually going to cost him um, his job in the same way it's cost other people. But, you know, he said it best. He said the other day that, uh, you know, if he can't bring in 25 good players, then we're going to be looking for a new coach. And I don't know if there's a better way to say it, man. So we'll be we will be watching with bated breath as he brings in this 2022 class and then obviously the 2023 one, which is probably the one that really says something about, about how good he's going to be. Yep, yep, that will. So, all right, good stuff, Will. Plenty to get into uh, there. And look, we'll, we'll be able to dive deeper into uh, the, these hires as well and, and what they've been able to do in their career at Louisiana and, you know, dive into trends and numbers. 
most of tonight was just to uh, announce the hires and what Florida put out there and initial thoughts uh, about those guys and those guys coming from Louisiana uh, as well. So, all right, for Will Miles, you can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC, his site, readingreaction.com, on YouTube at readingreaction. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDay underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.